A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 157 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Busy episode this week, we're covering lots and lots of ground, talking about some cars we've been driving, um, looking at the exotic cars that we think are currently underappreciated or undervalued. Um, But we start this week with the very sad news that Irish rally driver Craig Breen lost his life um, yesterday, as I'm recording this actually. Um, he was testing with Hyundai um, ahead of Rally Croatia um, in Croatia and he had an accident and he died. Um, it's You just don't think these things can happen in modern motorsport anymore, but they, they happen just sort of occasionally enough to remind us to not get complacent. Um, so we begin this episode by <clears throat> talking a little bit about Craig Breen. I've been looking back through Craig Breen's career um, and he was always sort of there or thereabouts in the WRC while he was competing. But I don't think many people would have said he was the fastest guy out there. He didn't win a WRC round. He did score. He came, he came close though, didn't he? He came close, very close. He scored nine podiums, several second place finishes. Six of those podiums were in the last three seasons, most recently last time out in Sweden just a few weeks ago. I think there was a real sense that Craig was on the brink of scoring his first WRC victory. And, and also, it's, it's, it was like sort of... It's like being a really good composer when Mozart's in, around or a really good oh, writer when Shakespeare's around. I mean, you know, to, to, to come second yeah. when there's an Ogier out there, mm. to be best of the rest is, by any other standards, um, you know, a world championship performance, isn't it? Oh, no question about it. No question about it. He was, he was coming good. His time was yet to come, I think. But the, he could drive anything. He could drive anything. So clearly he was very competitive in a modern WRC car. He had 30 stage wins. Um, so he, goodness me, he was fast in a modern four-wheel drive, aero, turbo car. Um, but there's so much footage of him out there driving all sorts of stuff, much older rally cars in particular, E30 M3s, um, Ford Sierra, 
um, ringing out these cars unbelievably skillfully with such commitment and a Metro 6R4. And I know you've been watching that clip. <laughs> yeah, it's just bizarre. It's just, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, there's a clip on, I guess it's on YouTube. Um, and it's quite a long clip. It's like sort of 20 minutes of him doing mm. what he does in a 6R4. And it's, it's, a, it's a tarmac stage. It's so narrow. Yeah. The weather's all over the place. Um, and the com- it's, it's, it's the courage and it's the commitment and it's the conviction above all that somehow it'll be all right. And it is. Mm. Um, mm. And he's driving this thing so beautifully. And it's such a, you know, a mechanical, such an analog car. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, watch that. And if you ever thought that Craig Breen didn't deserve to be considered among the best of the best, uh, I promise you, once you watch that, you'll change your mind. You know, there's no question, no question. And actually, just to prove how adaptable he was, um, just last year, September, he competed at Goodwood in the St. Mary's, um, which is the touring car race, isn't it, for yeah. the 60s and older touring cars. Um, he was in a Lotus Cortina uh, in a star-studded grid. I mean, let me just read out some of the names to you, some of the people who are competing in that race. So we've got Roman Dumas, Gordon Shedden, Frank Stippler, Andrew Jordan, Jimmy Johnson, Esteban Gutierrez, Steve Soper, Anthony Reid, Alex Brundle. We've got Andre Lotterer, David Brabham, Darren Turner. Yeah, okay, so Karun, it's ridiculous. Andy yeah. Prio, Matt Neal. Un- unbelievable unbelievable lineup of drivers all racing um, drivers you all know, racing not drivers, drivers that's right you know multiple former formula one drivers um and the extraordinary thing is he qualified fifth and he was ahead of a load of other guys in similar cars so you know the likes of steve soper anthony reed neil yarney max chilton stoffel van dorn they were all in cortinas and craig out qualified all of them he he ran third in the race eventually finished fourth so he came close to a podium. And the guy's not a racing driver. He used that's to be a thing. carter. He used to, he carted as a kid, but he's a, he was a rally driver. That's, his, that's what he did. And, and somehow and also, he had the skill to run with top yeah, racing and, and, drivers. And also, you know, judging from the, the, the list and knowing a bit about Goodwood as I do, you know, 90%, probably more, of the people in that race will be Goodwood veterans. Yeah. You know, people who turn up at the revival and the members' meeting. Um, every year I know that place inside out and it's not just it's not the sort of track that if you're any normal person you can just go and be quick on Um, because although it's only whatever it is five or six corners it's so technical it's so Mm. about the precise positioning of the car knowing where all the undulations and where all the bumps are and what you can and what you can't get away with and where you can overtake and where you're going and i guess that's the rally driver in him isn't it mm. it's, it's it's you know that's what rally drivers do don't they they you know they just you know even with pace notes it's, it's hardly the same as you know having been around the same track a million times um and so it is this job of just you know taking you on the unknown just backing yourself to being able to sort it out when it's not quite what you expected and um yeah and i, I don't I, i'm not sure but I, I don't imagine he would have ever raced there before I don't think so. I don't think so. No. You know, he, he was one of those guys that would be quick in anything. I bet if you put him in a wings and slicks downforce racing car he, and gave him time, I'm sure he'd be competitive in it. Um, he, he just had this extraordinary skill. Um, and it, it's gutting. It's really, really gutting because when you sit in one of these modern WRC cars, he was testing for his um, team, his Hyundai factory team, um, ahead of Rally Croatia. He was in Croatia. 
Um, when you sit in one of these modern cars, the cages are unbelievable. There's tubing everywhere. The cars are hard to get into and out of because of it. They, and you feel so safe. You've got I mean, seats that come around I'm right you. saying they're not actually even based on what they look like anymore. I mean, they all use a proprietary space right. frame, don't they? I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. So and they are cages. Designed for exactly that reason. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you make a competition car structure that is designed to be safe in competition it's just going to be stronger than anything that was based on the thing mm. that's designed to go you know mm. to go shopping in however much you modify it however much you change it exactly i just find it apart from the appalling tragedy of it i just find it utterly shocking mm. that mm. that sort of thing can happen and i know it's been a very long time and i know that motorsport is dangerous and i wouldn't ever want to suggest that you know any form of it should stop because you know, people who love it and who know the risks lose their lives doing it. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? You know the risks. Yeah. Um, but but I, I still find it, I'm afraid, I, just, I still just find it shocking that, you know, in, a, in an absolutely yeah. state-of-the-art, top-flight, modern competition car, um, that can happen. And, I, I, and I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know the circumstances of the accident or what happened, but um, so I'm certainly not going to point any fingers or anything else. I just, I just you know, I just no. think it's terribly sad and... Um, yeah, shocking. You just you just don't imagine it can happen these days. But it's a reminder: <laughs> motorsport in all its forms is dangerous. There's always the risk. It does do um, this every so often, doesn't it? You know, oh, it, it God, all falls apart. You know, just when you sort of think that the days of yeah, you know, those sorts of days are behind you, and then something pops up and something completely unexpected happens, and and you were all brought back down to earth again with mm. a bit of a bump. Mm. Um, and you know, just you know, if you just think about you know, in Formula One how many lives the halo has saved mm. since it came in uh, how many people would not be with us now were it not for that one you know which i was quite rude about when it came out and got that completely mm. wrong um so you can never try hard enough can you no, to make these never, things never, never. safe that's right it's a very good point the the push for improved safety in motorsport in all its forms can never ever stop it's you've never won that battle no um, no so so Craig was a, a hell of a driver, but a great guy as well. And I, I shared a couple of stories um, about him and his character on social and on a, the app and website. You can go find that if you want to. Um, but he, he was a very generous, spirited guy um, with a big smile, always laughing, always joking. The other thing about him was that he loved, loved, loved rallying, you know, mm. and... Sometimes it's disappointing when you find out motorsport stars actually don't really care that much about motorsport and its history. They're just in it for the competition. Um, Craig was a student of the history of the sport. He knew it inside out. He knew all the um, the legendary drivers. He knew all the old cars. Um, he just he had a real, real passion for it. So he because there, there, there are so many and and sorry, I'll say that in a minute. You know, if you haven't read Dan's, he's much too much to say, but you haven't read Dan's tribute to. Uh, to Craig Breen, get on the website uh, the intercooler.com and it's 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 to me it's you know it's it's the most it's it's the best tribute to the Blake Yori because it just reveals the man's character because you can look up his stats and everything else and know a bit about what he was like as a driver but it's a re- if you want a real insight into what he was like as a person which to me is far more important um, do go over to the website and read Dan's piece um, it's uh, it's up there on the blog so it's free of charge you don't even have to subscribe. Um, I've now completely forgotten what I was about to say. No, well, well, thank you. But um, uh, yeah, all I was going to say is that um, he did love rallying, and if nothing else, if nothing else, he at least died doing what he loved doing more than anything else. 
Um, yeah, so I've, I've now remember what I was going to say, which is exact, which is exactly on that point because so often you get drivers in. I'm sure probably less in rallying, certainly in circuit racing, um, who actually aren't that into cars at all. Mm. What they like to do is win, and mm. the cars are almost just the sort of the medium, the vehicle, which allow them to do what they want to do. Their passion is not mm. for cars, it's for winning. Um, and then you come across drivers. I mean, Karun is one. Yeah. Um, you know, Formula One driver, multiple um, competitor at Le Mans, uh, raced at the very highest level. But he just he just loves cars. Mm. You know, guys like Dario, no, they just love it. They absolutely love the cars. And um, and Craig Breen clearly just adored his sport. Yeah, he really did. He really did. And he was damn good at it. So, yeah, our thoughts are clearly with his family and friends. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we, we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that we've been up to. Now, you've not been up to a great deal, Andrew, because you're sporting a bit of an injury at the moment. Um, but there is at least one car that you can tell us a bit about. And actually, it's going to be a car that TI subscribers are going to be reading about a little bit over the coming months. Months, Yeah, so uh, I have a BMW M340i has come to stay uh, a touring Um the reason that here, the reason it's here is I went on the launch of the BMW X1, uh, it, it, which is, yes. uh, I'm sure in that genre, an entirely worthy um, compact crossover. Um, and I kind of went out and I drove it, um, forgot about it within 30 seconds of having stepped out the car. Um, and... It was one of those days in the UK where BMW just thought there's a bit of time left over. We, we, they just brought some other cars along. Mm. So I drove a, I can't remember. Oh yeah, I drove a seven. I drove a couple of other things, and then I got in an M340i, and and it's just like, it's like having been away for a really long time, and suddenly you just find yourself back at home, mm. and you know having spent all this time driving you know electric cars and crossovers and SUVs and all this sort of stuff. You get back into a car, which is just, it's not the ultimate at anything, but it is just so damn good at everything you want a car to do, because it's quiet and it's comfortable, and it's got this big three-litre straight six in it, which I know has got a turbocharger on it, but honestly, um, it, it might as well not. Um, the throttle response is so good. Mm. It's just got an estate body on it. It's not too big. It's not too heavy. and And I just thought, this is what I want to be knocking about in. Um, anyway, so luckily, because, you know, we are very lucky to be able to do this. I had a word and they were willing and here it is. Um, and it's, it's just, I've said this about one or two other cars. It's a sort of car that, you know, if you get back in from having been away for a long time and you find it just sort of sitting in the long-term car park, your journey home has got shorter because you're kind of there the moment you sit in the car because all your mm. stuff is there. Everything works the way you want it to do. And, you know, I drove um, an M3 Touring um, quite recently. Really, really liked it. Really liked it. Cracking car. But I wouldn't swap this for that. Mm, just, well, that's not, what not I was going to ask. Yeah. Not for me. Because for on 95% of the time on a minute, it's just better than an M3 Touring. Mm. Because 95% of the time, I'm not driving it like my pants are on fire. Um, it's also 
tens, many tens of thousands. I think an M3 Tour is like 90 grand. Um, and this is 50 something. So it's tens of thousands of wow. pounds cheaper. Um, and it's still, you know, it's fast enough. It, it's got 350 horsepower. You'll get to 60 in four and a bit seconds. It's, you know, it's plenty fast enough. Um, and it sounds lovely. And I just, it's also, so it's because it hasn't got the grill, it's a lot better looking than, you know, some other cars <laughs> on that, uh, on that platform. And, and do you know what? I, I, I'm sitting here trying to think of stuff that annoys me about it. And, and there's not much. And that, that's quite rare these days. Is it comfy? Does it ride? It rides beautifully. Even Is though it? it's on run flats, it's on Bridgestone run flats, um, it rides really, really well. Um, mm. you know, there, there was a time when run flats first came out, God knows what it was, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago, when the deterioration in ride quality caused by the tyres alone would have been grounds not to buy the car because I'm quite sensitive to ride. Um, yeah. and, it would, and it just really cheesed me off. And this doesn't at all. Um, so I'm just trying to think what don't i like about it it's not a great looking car i don't particularly set much store by that the automatic gearbox annoys me a lot less than it does in an m3 because it's just you know Mm. you just don't expect it to do that so you know that's not the drawback that it is in an m3 touring um it's just a really nice car and 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 i'm really looking forward to to spending some time in it so yeah okay well i look forward to reading about that um so i've been driving some fun stuff recently um I was at Bista to drive uh, a Lancia Delta Integrale. Actually, it, it's a really just a road car, but it's owned by a company called Hero, which is the historic endurance rallying organization. Yeah. Um, and they organize and prepare cars for what some people would call proper rallies, not stage rallies, what rallying used to be. I've, I've done a couple of them. Have you? Yeah. Where, you, where, where have you done them? I did one in Scotland. Yeah. Um, which was seven days um, basically visiting whiskey distilleries. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, and I did another, was it a hero event? I think it was. It started in Bournemouth and ended up in North Wales somewhere. And I did one in a vintage Bentley. And I did the other in a short wheelbase 911. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. That does sound uh, fantastic. And, and, and they are, you know, they're not partners of ours, so I'm not saying this for any particular reason, but they are really, really well-organised events mm, for people they, who really, really understand the gig. And, it, and, and they're, you know, they are good fun because, you know, a lot of them are, um, you know, sort of nav- navigational rallies and, you know, against the clock and that sort of thing. And there, and there, there are some times where, you know, the only way you can keep up with whatever time it is is to drive as fast as you possibly can. Mm. So you're honking um, along at points, aren't you? That, that oh, is yeah, the point. It's not, it's not just sticking to 20 no, miles an hour and trying to get not. to the gates and on time it's no you, you really are moving at points yeah yeah no absolutely yeah i mean i can remember one stage we did in the 911 which was actually i mean it was kind of it was on private land as well mm. um and me having to drive this thing like an absolute you know absolutely as fast as i could get it to go wow um wow. yeah on, on, on proper you know on proper tires and really really flinging it about i mm. uh, an absolute ball mm. and yeah. these rallies, so anyway, inter- the integral <laughs> yeah these rallies they um so they are regularity sort of navigational things but they often have um special stages built into them where which yeah. are speed tests you are going as fast as you can against the clock um and so they're interesting events and they do them right across the world and some of them last a couple of weeks and you're doing thousands of miles so they're they're fascinating events but 
Um, Heroes based at, at Bista Heritage, and they've got this garage. Um, I don't, don't think they call it a garage. Full of uh, gorgeous cars prepared specifically for those sorts of events. And the idea is you can just arrive and drive it. So yeah. it probably doesn't cost you know pennies, but you can pay them to get this car to the start line for you, and all you have to do is turn up and drive. And if you roll it into a ball? Well, I'm sure it's insured, but maybe yeah. that gets a bit tricky. Um, and so, that you know, they've got old 911s, old, um, other old Porsches. They've got um, Alphas and old Peugeots, all sorts of stuff. Um, and a load of British sports cars, NGs and Austin Healy's. I was there to drive the Integrale. Um, and it's basically a road car. It's got a, a Martini rally car livery and rally-style wheels. Um, but actually, I the did... only clue that it's a it's not just a standard road car inside is that it's got one of those timing things that stick out of the dashboard for the navigator to use. Oh, like a Halder. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, but actually, it was really the first time I've had a proper go in an Integrale. Um, and clearly, as a rally nut, I've loved these things forever. I've drove it, one was, once what, years and years a, ago. an 8-valve, 16-valve, an Evo? Um, it, was, it wasn't an Evo. Um, I think it was a 16-valve. I need, I need to actually go and dive into the, the spec properly. Um, I'm going to write a story about it soon, so I ha- clearly haven't done my research just yet. But, um, but it was fascinating to drive the car. Uh, and we had the track at Bista, so I could have a proper good go in it. Um, and actually, the, I, do, do you know I just I just love driving cars from that era, 80s, 90s. Because they take real driving. They don't have loads of grip. Um, they don't have rock-solid body control. They have manual transmissions. Um, you have to get stuck in. You really have mm. to drive them. So even a car that perhaps doesn't handle or steer or you know beautifully or have perfect brakes or whatever, they're, still, they're fun to drive. They're just fun. And this Integrale, actually, it was a great car. Um, and just so enjoyable to be in. Did you? Are, are you going to write one of your uh, "I have never" pieces about? I it? don't think so because I have I have technically driven an Integrale before, so it doesn't quite fit into that category. Okay. Um, but I, I I am going to write a full detailed piece about it. Um, did but you? It's a cool car. Did you like it or did you love it? The car itself. Uh, well, I liked it a lot. I think okay. liked it a lot. That's but damning th- th- with eight praises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but th- theirs is a good one. You know, it feels tough. It really does feel tough. The engine is strong. Yeah. Um, it does handle well. It does steer well. Um, but it's, you, you know, you worry about these sort of 80s lances, don't you? How tough is it going to be? But this one felt solid. Like it would take a lot well, of abuse. I think, I think those cars, um, I think mechanically, I think, they're pretty, I think they're pretty robust. That's it. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, hang my hat on the longevity of the electric window motors. Mm. But... Um, mm. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I think the bits that matter yeah. are tough as old boots on those cars. Pretty solid, felt it. Yeah. You could you could thrash it, really drive it hard. And on one of the, those events, you would be you would be hammering it. But you can understand how they're so fast because it's mega agile, but also stable. It's got four wheel drive. It's got feels like way more power. You know, they're only sort of two hundred and something, two ten, two twenty. Feels like loads more. Um, so, yeah, I, I can well imagine on one of those hero rallies, r- honking along in this Integrale would be fantastic. So, yeah, I and will also, write my story I would also soon. think quite a good sort of balance because, you know, I've always 
Uh, okay, the one in Scotland I did in, 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 in a vintage Bentley, but it was kind of like the right time of year, and it wasn't a very arduous one. The people who do these, you know, the Le Jog, the Lands Enter John O'Groats things, yeah. in sort of open pre-war yeah. sports cars in <laughs> November or January in the snow. It's um, masochistic. But do you know what? I, I admire them to my boots. I have no desire whatever no. to do that myself. No. You know, spend a week being absolutely chilled to the marrow. No, yeah. no thanks. Yeah. Something like an Integrale. I imagine is you would give you a really good sense of what the event was like. Um, really great fun car to drive, but you know, for the sort of fireside loving lily livered person <laughs> that I am, um, just a little bit of civility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I can remember warm. doing um, the Miller Miller retrospective in a Gullwing Mercedes and, 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 and sitting there basically thinking I was cheating. <laughs> because it felt like a modern car compared to so much almost anything else that was out there uh, and all these people in all these you know frightful contraptions you know breaking down all the time being battered by the wind you know poisoned by the fumes um you know having all their teeth knocked loose by the pulling ride quality and there i was just sort of woofling along at 110 miles and having a chat with the bloke sitting next to me <laughs> it's just, um, and you know what I, I, that, that's absolutely fine by me yeah i'd be happy in that as well um, well, talking of sort of feats of endurance in rallying, long distances, difficult conditions, another car I drove recently, um, and actually we're recording this on the Friday, over the weekend to come, this car will be auctioned by Bonhams at the Goodwood members meeting, so it'll be interesting to see what this goes for. It was Rauno Altonen's Mini Cooper S that he drove to 7th on Rally Monte Carlo in 1964. Now that's the year that Paddy Hopkirk won. Um, in a similar Mini, another works BMC Mini. Um, and Rano Altonen, he, <laughs> he started the rally that year in the Mini in Oslo um, and had to drive best part of 2,000 miles to Monte Carlo with his co-driver um, in January. And, yeah. <laughs> Does it have a heater? I, you I see, that's, think, where I, that's where my brain also yeah, yeah, so well how, and so yeah, yeah. soggy bottom. That, that's literally, that's exactly, <laughs> when I think of that, I don't think, oh my God, what an amazing experience. Yeah. You know, you over the think, mountains, 2000, I'm thinking, does it have a heater? <laughs> well, the thing is, you look at the car and minis, of course, are tiny. You think you can pick it up and put it in your pocket. And you just think two blokes in that, a couple of thousand miles, dreadful. You think that's going to just be horribly uncomfortable but actually, you get in the car. They've got these quite squishy seats, so you're happy enough in that. They are weirdly spacious inside, aren't they? Oh, they are, yeah. It's I mean, so, so, somebody once, I don't know how you measured it, but they said that, you know, inch for inch, they were the most space-efficient cars that have ever been built to this mm. day. Mm. Um, because these days, you know, with crash requirements, and there's so much space gets wasted. Well, not wasted, but used up doing other stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was, just, it was just such a clever, clever car. Yeah, it really was. And so actually you sit in it, you think, I'm quite comfortable in here. Um, there's a brilliant shot of that car being driven by Alton and howling through the streets of Monaco. There was a stage in Monaco, I guess. Um, and it's a fantastic image of the car just on the door handles. Um, and I've now driven that car. Uh, and it was the most fun I've ever had in an original Mini. I've driven a few. But this one, it was the first time it's really clicked for me and i've just gone goodness me this is an awful lot of fun quiet country lane clearly not much power but a buzzy little engine um but the thing about it is you begin to appreciate how they were competitive against much bigger more powerful cars on rallies like the monte carlo um because they're so agile 
They're so tiny that the road is twice the size for you, almost. Um, so you can pick your line through it. They're, and they're super agile. So you just do that with the steering, a little flick with the steering. Yeah. And the car just darts into a corner. Yeah. And carries so much speed. It is unbelievable. Um, and this one had really lovely, supple suspension. It had a beautifully cushioned ride, which I was not expecting. Um, and so it's just super fun to howl along these narrow little country lanes with hedgerows either side. So, so was, was it still in full work specification? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It's a gorgeous little thing. Um, and as I said, the first time I've really understood what driving an original Mini is actually all about. And you see these things at Goodwood, don't you? Um, oh, you want Nick Swift? Yeah, and they... Oh, but they, they're clearly front-wheel drive, but they seem to oversteer all the way through corners. Once you've they turned do. it in, they just yeah, seem to they, oversteer. They, there is a, I, um, I have, um, I've been on this podcast, I've talked about this before, and actually, Karun got in, the last time I talked about this, Karun got in touch saying, oh, you know, I'm a good, ne- good yeah. next week testing one of these, and he's come down and have a go, and I couldn't do it. I still want to drive a racing Mini, because there's still a sort of technique of drive. I don't understand mm. the technique, mm. but I think basically, it can be put into <laughs> two words, which is don't lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, th- I think it's ult- they are the ultimate chuck it in and sort it out car. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. because they they occupy they're so light and they occupy so little space, and and I guess ultimately, you know, if it all starts going wrong, you just bang on the gas mm, and, and it'll just pull itself straight. Yeah, and you can having driven it, you can just appreciate how Altonen and Hopkirk and the others were must have just been flying along those special stages in the yeah. hills above Monte Carlo. They must have been absolutely on it um, there is a there, there is a story isn't there i think it was the monty in 66 where the minis having won in 64 and 65 hmm. they turned up in 66 and the the scrutineers whoever managed to get the entire team excluded <laughs> i think it was something to do with the filaments and the light bulbs yeah as a result of which a Citroen won the rally. Would you believe now, it? Now, I'm not saying that there's got anything to do with <laughs> the French ensuring that the French won a rally. But, I mean, come along. It kind of looks that way, doesn't it? It uh, kind of looks that way. But, but, they you... were, but, but, but on, on that sort of survey, in those sorts of conditions, which, were, which are, you know, to this day, among the most testing conditions you can, ever, you can put any rally car along, in my understanding, mm. they were just unbeatable, weren't they? Until, until oh. frankly, until the sort of 911 came along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were. They were. They were built for it, really. Well, they weren't, but their their size, their minute, their tiny, their low weight, their inherent agility meant that they were so well suited to it. And I remember mm. talking to Paddy Hopkirk about this, and I asked him what it, what it was what it was like, and he was just sort of talking about it generally. And he there was this fantastically un PC line. No current day rally driver would ever say or or get away with saying it, but he said going downhill that's what sorts the men from the girls <laughs> can't okay. say that stuff now paddy you can't you can't say that stuff now and it, and it, and it, and, it, and it, you, know, you absolutely can't but um you know all yeah, sexism aside yeah you understand what he's you saying you understand his point you do yeah. you do that going downhill particularly on those stages on those roads that is really what takes the skill what takes the nerve and goodness yeah. me they must have been going hard um, so there was a, another Bonhams rally car that I drove again that will be auctioned off this weekend we'll see what it goes for um, it was a, an ex-Richard Burns Subaru Impreza WRC 99 um, 
I'm not going to talk about it much here because I have written a story. It's on the app and website. And actually, my story is about the, the, that era of Subaru Impreza rally car when they were two-door cars. Um, that lovely, simple, clean silhouette with the, the, the beautiful big wing on the back. Peter Stevens designed them. Um, they competed between 96, 97 and 2000. Um, and they're just my, I think, my all-time favourite series of rally cars am am i right in saying that they weren't as competitive as the four-door cars that came both before and after them that's right well they didn't win the drivers championship they did they won the constructors for subaru in 97 but they didn't win the the drivers so you know the four-door cars with mccray with burns with solberg they did win the drivers championships and of course that's the one that we all care about really um so those are the ones that are Perhaps but, there's, the, the, but there's nothing to be read into that. I mean, this, so I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking in engineering terms, you'd expect a two-door car to be stiffer and lighter and, frankly, yeah. better than a four-door mm. car. But I'm sure there must have been you know, many other factors, not least the strength of the competition or who was driving them. Oh, exactly. or, yeah, so I, well, there could they, be any they, number of other reasons. They had, yeah, McRae came close to winning the championship in one, um, one year, but... Um, they had technical issues. They had reliability issues. Okay. And, yeah. you know, we all know that in motorsport, you can be the fastest crew out there. But if you break down two or three times and the competition is more consistent, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but the, oh, I, what a privilege it was to drive that car. I've driven a couple and they are electrifying things to drive. Properly intimidating. Um, so the story's up there if you want to go read it. And we'll, we'll see what the what they sell for um over the weekend at goodwood it'd be interesting to see um, it's up for it's up for like half a million quid it's isn't about it? half a million I, quid yeah I, I don't know whether that's a lot or a little for a car like that don't know don't know don't know i mean if it was <laughs> uh, mccray's 95 championship winner that would be bazillions wouldn't it yeah that would be that would go for an awful lot more that's um, right. but if it was just something which just took part and didn't particularly do anything that presumably i'm guessing wouldn't be very much well, that's it. So they built lots of them. You know, these cars yeah. only did a couple of rallies and yeah. then they'd be sold off. This one did the San Remo in 99 and the Monte Carlo in 2000. Um, so there are lots of these cars out there that have interesting histories, but not fascinating, can't be missed yeah, histories. But, but this car know? is an ex-Richard Burns yeah, car. So it's a and bit it's a sta- cool. And it's a stage winner, isn't it? Yeah, it won a stage on the Monty, which just makes it cool, doesn't it? So so this ex-Richard Burns car, which won a stage on the Monty, being driven by Richard Burns. Mm. That's got to be worth something, hasn't it? Well, we'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out. Um, okay. Right, we're moving on. We're doing What Goes Up, which is where we look at what's going on in the market. Um, and this week, using data and insights from our car finance partner, JBR Capital, we're looking at underappreciated or undervalued exotic performance cars right so how often do we feel like we've missed the boat on certain exotic cars you know you promise yourself one and then you years later you go back and check and they've shot up in value yeah and the boat has sailed and you've missed it yeah and you kick yourself for not getting 550 maranello 10 years ago yes 30, 30 grand 35 30 grand, grand. And now, it's, now it's three times that at least yeah so there you go it's a good example so this is about trying to get in there before that happens when mm. the ship is still at the dock um and so jbr have dug through their data and, and pulled out a handful of interesting cars so i'm gonna okay just just but just before you do that can i can i just say one general point about this whole business and i'm sure the guys at jbr who have colossal car enthusiasts would agree 
don't buy cars to try and make money out of them. That's right. That's right. Just, just don't. A, I think you're buying them for the wrong reason, and that's not me judging you. That's just me thinking you're less likely to make a good call um, because of it. Um, and B, you know, that's not what those cars are for. You know, I, I, and in my experience, if you buy a car for passion because you just really love it, there's a good reason for that, and that's because it's a bloody good car. Mm. it's a special car and that in itself is likely to ensure its future value any much every bit as much as you sort of looking at it and thinking oh well it's from this particular brand and they're only made this many of them and yeah this, and therefore i can make a lot of money out of it get these cars buy these cars for the right reasons enjoy them drive them use them and if you end up it not costing you very much or even if we end up turning a small profit on them good luck to you mm. but that should never be the reason that you buy these things yeah if you, I totally agree, totally agree. Um, nevertheless, it would be great, wouldn't it, to be able to get into an exotic car before it takes off into space and you suddenly have to pay three, four, five times. So, oh, I mean, I, I have owned a few cars in my life, um, which once I've come to sell them, I've turned out, I mean, my Tour 5 GTI. One being, being one such case in point, I had a basically free 205 GTI for seven years. Mm. If I look, if I think of, you know, how much more I got for it than I paid for it, and then I look at everything it cost me to run that car, uh, including having to repair it when somebody crashed into it, revenue neutral. Oh, but, wonderful. But, so, somebody says to you, here's a 205 GTI, yeah. it's yours for seven years, do what you like with it, and every single expense associated with that car will pay. Mm. It's a free car. That is fantastic. That is it's fantastic. unbelievable. But if you'd gone into it hoping to do that, you wouldn't have driven the thing. I wouldn't have driven the thing, and I wouldn't have enjoyed it. And and and, and yeah, I just I just never ever would. Mm. Um, and so yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> just do it for the right reason. Do it for the right reason. So the first car that I want to talk about is the original Audi R8. Okay, yeah. and. According to JBR Capital's data, the V10s have risen in value sharply already, but the V8s are stable. But they're Actually, the better ones. I'd rather have the V8. So would I. I. Re- I really would rather have the V8. Manual. Yeah. Well, find a manual V8, and oh my goodness me, you're getting a lot of car for the money. Now, I feel like for the last four or five years, I've been waiting for these cars to have their moment. Yes. Lovely, clean, manual, R8, V8. I, I'm just expecting them at some point. To... You're so right. I mean, I can remember driving one for... I can't remember when I drove it. I can't remember. Um, but I went and drove one about four or five years ago. I think this is a cheap car. Uh, and I just mm. didn't have the money, so I couldn't do anything about it. But thinking to myself, what a shame. Because, again, this is an opportunity to probably have a free car for a while. Yeah. But actually, I don't think I would have done. And it's the, it's the timing, isn't it? You've got to... And, and that's what I would always get wrong. Uh, I would always... You know, I'm the bloke who started predicting the downfall of the SUV 30 years ago. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and I could see five years ago that these cars were very undervalued. Mm. Mm. And so you think, oh, they're very undervalued, get in. But actually, no, because they still are. They still are. So you can, the cheapest one I saw, £31,000. <sighs> and there are many out there under thirty-five grand. God. That, oh, I honestly, in a few years, we're going to look back and go, we all should have bought one. Whether you, yeah, but the other thing I would say is that when you're doing this, you just, you just, you also just need to be really, really careful about what ones you buy because yeah. I, I'm a firm believer that the cheapest cars often turn out to be the most expensive, and vice versa. Quite right. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a mid-engine V8. It is well, 
borderline supercar, isn't it? It's going to cost money to run. Yeah, you know, they, they, they have that trick magnetoreological suspension mm. stuff on it. And, you know, there will be bills. And, you know, don't be wooed by thinking, oh, here's one for 29995. I can get, it doesn't have much of a history. And okay, it's a Cat D or whatever they call Cat D these days. Mm. But it's just mm. a route because no one's, in future, no one's going to want that car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy a good one and keep it good. That's the way yeah. to do it. Yes. Interestingly, uh, last year compared to the year before, JBR Capital saw a 49% increase in all Audi R8 proposals. So all across the board, all Audi R8s, all the generations, all the different um, versions, there seems to be a big step up in interest um 2021 to 2022 so i wonder if that's because everybody knows it's dying i wonder if people realize actually Mm. they're not gonna be making any more of these things so now's maybe now's the time and now they're gonna start moving into sort of you know quasi classic territory and you know and the next one's gonna be electric and whether it's good bad or a different it ain't gonna be the same Mm. Mm. so it's an interesting time for that car definitely want to keep an eye on right let me give you another one I'm very curious to see what you make of this car. This mm. is the 2008 Aston Martin DBS, the Bond car. Mm. Um, there, I saw several out there for less than £70,000. The cheapest manual, I think I'd want a manual, was £77,000. Um, now, curiously, JBR say they've seen a slight decrease in value of these cars over time. So at that sort of money, does that seem like an underappreciated or undervalued car to you? It does to me, but not perhaps for reasons which particularly interest me. I think it's an undervalued car because I don't think, compared to DB9s, for instance, they made that many. I do think it is an exquisite looking car. Yeah. But when I first, when I drove it, I just, I just wasn't knocked out by it. Mm. you know relative to a db9 and mm. i think a db9 i'm sure it's probably not on jbr capitals list but you know if you can get a really nice db9 and the last time i looked you know you could get one of these things for 30 or 40 grand so like yeah. half the money of the dbs and okay there are very many more of them and that sort of thing but that if i was going to go down the i want an aston i want a v12 aston martin gt that's what i go and get mm. because i reckon you're getting 90 percent of the car for half for, for, for half the money Mm. And again, you know, obviously the DBS is that much more valuable because they're, you know, they were more valuable when they were new and Bond drove one and they do look beautiful. Mm. Um, but those things aren't, I'm not very interested in those sorts of things. I'm just mm. interested in what they like to drive. And if I could get a car which is almost as good to drive for half the money, then I'd just rather do that. Okay, another one. Nissan GTR R35. Now, it's not a exotic, perhaps, in the traditional sense of the word but it is you know exotic materials it's got a hand-built engine it is a purpose-built performance car it's not adapted from anything Mm. else um there are plenty available for under forty thousand pounds it's not really a rare car is it partly because they've been in production for so long um jbr think that prices peaked in 2019 and have stayed stable ever since um so i wonder if they're going to have a moment where they start to appreciate in value um but you're you're sort of quite cool towards the gtr aren't you yeah no and and, and i always have been um uh, i drove one quite recently for exactly these purposes for exactly these reasons because it's it's i think it is now it's pretty much the oldest car on sale yeah i'm sure it must Um, be 
I, could, I, I remember I, could, I thought of something else. I've forgotten what it was. Oh, the Fiat 500. If they still make the uh-huh. Fiat 500, I think, that's, I think that's about a similar age. Yeah. Um, every time I drive one, though, I just think Evo Mitsubishi. Mm. No, really? You'd rather I'd have just, one? I just, I, just, I just massively prefer driving those. Mm. And they would be, I'm guessing, hugely... You know, if you got a... What do they used to call those things? The FQ360 and that mm. sort of thing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I wouldn't actually want one of those. I'd want a, a five or a six. Yeah. Um, to, if you're going to go down that sort of four-wheel drive Japanese um, route, those cars are more interesting to me. And although they're probably are they quick, they're probably damn near as quick. I just thought, I always always found they were nicer to drive because you know GTRs are are pretty blunt instruments. Um, mm. They're not cars that you that you want to you know balance on the throttle they're they're kind of you know point and squirt machines which if that's what you like um that's absolutely fine but um i just much prefer something with um you know which is set up in its diffs and it's everything else to be much more agile to you know skid about and uh, and just be fun if that means you don't go quite as fast who cares so yeah okay how about a lotus esprit then Oh. Now, clearly, certain, <laughs> certain variants, you know, they might be rare, they might be more sought after, they've long since shot up in value. But they built so many different versions with different engines, yes, uh, different eras, yes. Um, that there's a real sort of mix of stuff out there. And to be honest, I don't really, I've driven at least one, but I don't really know which are the ones to look out for, which are the ones that people want. Well, the cheapest I could do one. An, I could do an yeah. entire podcast on this. <laughs> right, we'll, do that. we'll do that at some point. Now. But the, and clearly, buying the cheapest car you can find is not necessarily the right thing to do. But for these purposes, the cheapest one I saw was £32,000 for a 2.2. Um, yeah. It's a four-cylinder car. Uh, oh, I don't know, actually. Uh, no, I don't have it. But the... Um, the alternative was £35,000 for a V8 model. Um, JBR think that the average cost of an Esprit across all the variants is £44,000. Yeah, does mean, that strike you as less than they might be? I mean, the, the problem is, as you say, there's such a... You know, yeah. if you take a sort of final V8 um, or, you know... A final V8 from from, you know, from the late 1990s, and compare that to an S1 from 1977. Um, mm. You know, you, you, you're really not comparing like with like at all. Um, yeah, the, 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 there are the ones which are absolutely. I mean, things like the Sport 300, but I think they only made 63 of those. Um, if I was to single out an Esprit, well, I think there are two really. Although one of them is a bit niche, one of them is a GT3. Mm. Um, which was the sort of cut price club sport um, GT3 with a two liter engine, not 2.2. Um, but it was incredibly light and lovely. And I actually looked quite hard at buying one quite recently um, because mm. I just love them. I just absolutely love them. Um, but the smart money, if you want uh, an Esprit, is an S4S. Because uh. an S4S is almost a Sport 300. Um, but they built them in much larger quantities. They're much more affordable. And they were the sort of. They were the sort of the ultimate four-cylinder Esprit before they went to the V8. And the V8 was... The V8 is actually the, the Esprit that they used in... Top Gear used in their Argentine um, mm. disaster. Um, and the V8 had a reputation for not being very reliable when it was new. I think that's been sorted out now. But it was never a particularly 
tuneful engine. It was never a car that I particularly warmed to. I would always want a four-cylinder car. Uh, mm. But there are essentially there are two sorts of Esprits. There are the early sorts, the Giugiaro-designed cars. Uh, and then I think in uh, 83, 84, Peter Stevens um, did a com- comprehensive facelift of the car. Um, and a very different car was launched thereafter. And I'm not here to say which one's better than the other, but they are very, very different um, sorts of cars. And almost in the middle of the car's life, they divide down the middle. And I think they probably attract very different sorts of people. I think the purists will go for the early cars and people who just want a a lovely, usable supercar will go for the Peter Stevens cars. Um, mm. But you know, early cars, just watch out because they were... They were really pretty shoddily put together. It was only when General Motors bought into the company and started, and I think, was it the S4? That was the first of the GM cars? I think it was. Um, that they started being put together reasonably well. Um, so you need to be careful of that. But they are, you know, they're great cars. They've got backbone chassis. They've got plastic bodies, so they don't rot. Um, the engines, they, they leak oil, but they're pretty reliable. And, it's, it, and it, they're the sorts of cars that if you keep on top of them, um they can be pretty good uh, little things will go wrong with them they do go wrong with them but i love the look i adore the way they handle um and again it's the sort of car to me which it's not about going fast it's about how you go fast and mm. yeah beautiful cars lovely, lovely. i'll have yeah. another one one day mm. very cool okay last one i want to offer this was mine actually um and again i'm stretching the definition of an exotic car but it is a porsche it is a mid-engine car it's got a lovely flat six engine, 987 Cayman, um, so first generation Cayman, um, a normal one or an S. And the reason for flagging these is that, again, £10,000 is bottom money for one. I don't know what kind of condition that's going to be in, but oh, stretch that a little bit up to sort of 15000 I bet they are lovely cars to be had at fifteen grand, which doesn't strike me as a lot of money for... If you get a good one, that is a gorgeous, gorgeous car to drive. But imagine you raise that budget to 20, which will presumably buy you as good a car as you can get. Yeah. You know, £20,000, you know, that's modern, you know, that's what a, the cheapest, if you could buy one anymore, um, modern Ford Fiesta yeah. costs, yeah. You, yeah. Know. you know. In an era where an electric Vauxhall Corsa costs £30,000, you know, the best example of, you know, one of the greatest Porsches um, you know, of, of the modern era that got made um, for 20 grand just strikes me as being, I mean, that to me sounds, sounds like a really, really special car. Mm. I love those things when they were new. Mm. Um, and I know people go, oh, well, they haven't got limited slips or difference in them. I mean, who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. They're so good to drive, particularly the S. Um, yeah. And also... What I like most about Caymans is, and you can't say this about boxes, you can't say it about 911s, you can't really say about any other Porsche. See someone driving a Cayman and you know they love driving. Mm. They haven't bought it for any other reason. Mm. If they were buying it to be seen in, they'd have bought a Boxster. Mm. People buy 911s for all sorts of reasons. People own, in my view, people only buy, people who buy Caymans buy Caymans because they know that for their purposes and for their budget and for the sorts of people they are, they are the best cars to drive. Mm. Um, yeah. I love them. Yeah, great cars, great cars. What Goes Up is sponsored this week by car finance specialist JBR Capital. We've been working with JBR Capital for a while now and it's been a brilliant partnership for us. High-end car finance is all the company does 
meaning it understands the car market and car buyers better than most. So before you buy your next sports car, supercar, classic car, luxury car, even a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. Visit jbrcapital.com or click the link in description. And this bit is important. Tell them the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Right, so to finish things off this week, we have got a listener question coming up. Um, it's a good one, actually. I'm interested, interested to get your view on this, Andrew. Um, before we do that, let me just remind you all to click the follow or subscribe button. Whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever app you're using, just follow um, because that really, really helps us. It takes you a moment and it really helps us. So please do that. Thank you. So the listener question this week comes from Christian, who says, I am finding myself on the limit of what I can safely practice on the road. I can heel and tow. I can rev match quite well. and would consider myself a confident and competent driver, both in front-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. I'm looking at booking a tuition course, but there's so many options, it's rather confusing. My budget is flexible. So I think it's a two-part question. Do we have any specific recommendations for driving um, training courses? And I've got at least one here. But also, what can someone do just day-to-day, out on the road, to sort of expand their driving ability, their skill behind the wheel? Think. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's that old Jim Clark thing, isn't it? Well, I can't remember the exact quote, but I think he said, you know, when I want to go faster, I don't drive harder, I just concentrate more. Mm. Um, mm. Think about... Think about because you know because actually it's one of those things. You know, I can't remember what they call it, but you know you become super skilled at something once you've been doing doing it for ten thousand hours. Yeah. Um, and you know most of the people listening to this will have been driving cars for far more than that, and so you don't really think about it as much as you should. And and you find that if you do just to, if you do just go out in your car, whatever your car is, for the sole purpose, not because you've got to you know, go and get, like, get your kids from school or go to the supermarket or whatever, but because you want to go out and you want to focus on your driving, you will drive a completely different way. You will realise all the lazy mistakes you're making, um, things like the positioning of the car mm. on the roads, the smoothness of your gear changes, choosing, if you've got a manual car, exactly the best points to um, to change up and to change down. It's just a question. I mean, I don't think there is any one thing that I can say, oh, yes, you should be doing this. Because, you know, frankly, mm. if you can, you know, do pretty smooth, you know, heel and toe downshifts, you're probably already, you know, a pretty mechanically sensitive driver, um, which means you probably do care a lot about your driving, which means you probably do have you know, a very good idea of what's what. But, you know, even people like us who do it all the time, um, it always pays just occasionally just to think, okay, all I'm going to do now is just concentrate on my driving. I mm. quite often do it where I've got passengers in the car. Um, and hopefully they will never notice. But what I try to do is I try to drive a car from one point to another reasonably quickly, but in such a way that they're not even aware of it. Mm. You drive so smoothly. You are so gentle with your braking. Um, and things like, you know, when you're coming to a stop, just releasing the brake pressure bit by bit by bit so that there's never any jolt pulling away without any snatch in the drive line, changing gear complete. So literally, as far as they're concerned, all they see, if they were looking, was you know, the, the rev counter needle repositioned itself. I take pride in all that sort of stuff. Um, I, f- I find it enjoyable um, and I find it makes me a better driver. And, and you never, ever, ever stop learning. Mm. Mm, absolutely. And going for drives where you're not going anywhere 
exactly. in particular. You're just turning left and right, going yeah. down roads that you don't know. Yeah. So you're just concentrating on your driving, not thinking about where you're going. Um, if you, for sort of more formal driver training, CAT driver, CAT driver training does seem to be one of the most credible. They do stuff on road, they do stuff on track. Um, so I'd definitely look at those guys. But if you just want to thrash the life out of a car, skid around, have some fun. Um, I've said it many times before, Caterham Drift Experience. You might not get out of first gear, but my word, you will have a ball and you will learn an awful lot about car control right on the limit, making a car dance. Um, and that's the really fun stuff for me. So, yeah, Caterham Drift Experience. Uh, but there you I, go. I, sorry, well, hang on. If I could just add one yeah, more. On. Uh, I don't even know if he's still doing this. I hope he does. Um, my mate, Mark Hales, um, incredibly accomplished racing yeah. driver. But... You know, I can remember going to him, but I think it was before I did my first ever 24-hour race. Um, I was probably just met him at a bar somewhere because we were on the same launch or something. But um, he does driver training, and he will yeah. sit down and he will talk to you. And he talks to you in such a a simple, interesting, understandable, not patronizing. Um, it's just the way you want to be spoken to. And he will explain things like the circle of adhesion and, you know, the, the, the mechanics of what a tyre has to do and how the secret to going fast on the track is to make sure that all your tyres are working as hard as they can as much of the time as possible. And that's basically what it's about. And he will just... He won't... It, there's so much that, he'll, that he tells you. We actually think, if I'd just thought about that, I'd have realised that, but I never had. Mm. Um so, yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure he's on the internet somewhere. Look up Mark Hales. Um, find out that he's still doing it. If you want that sort of driver, if you just want to become a, you know, particularly on the track, um, he'd be the guy that I would go to. Yeah. Yeah, very good call. Um, well, there you go, Christian. Thanks for your question. Uh, keep your questions coming in. We'll do it again next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 